0: A quick haiku, CMO Convo, full of advice for leaders. It's time to listen. As the way we work evolves, the way we market B2B needs to change too. For a long time, many people thought about it in logical terms, focused on marketing to companies. But things are changing. As Erica Podesta-McCoy, CMO of Resonate explains, it's past time we started thinking more about the humans behind B2B and how best to reach them. Hi, Erica, welcome to CMO Convo. How are you doing today?
1: I am doing great. Thank you for having me. How are you
0: doing? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. I'm very excited about this conversation. It's one that I've been wanting to cover for a long time on the show, and that's that, that blurring between the B2B and the B2C buyer. Is, is there such thing as even just a B2B buyer anymore? But before we dig into all that very, very juicy stuff, Erica, maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a bit about yourself and why you want to talk about this t- topic in particular.
1: Absolutely. So um, Erica Podesta-McCoy, I am currently the Chief Marketing Officer at a company called Resonate, which is the leader in AI-powered consumer data and intelligence. So really exciting space to work in. I've worked for a number of large global B2B software companies, but I've also worked on the B2C side. So I've worked for Marriott and Sprint um, and had some really great B2C experience as well. So this topic of the blurring lines between B2B and B2C is very near and dear to my heart.
0: It it sounds like you're perfectly placed to discuss this topic today. You've got, you really straddle the line between the B2B and B2C side of things. So very excited to discuss this. Let's let's start at the top, I suppose like we we hear a lot about sort of this the changing nature of the B2B buyer, how it's moving more closely to B2C. Whereas historically, and even when I was learning marketing, which wasn't actually too long ago, B2B B and B2C were still taught as being quite separate things and the approaches you had to take were different. Why are we thinking about things differently now? What is causing this? Is it a change in how B2B buyers are behaving? Is it a change in how we're thinking about marketing as a whole? Like what what is pushing this kind of blurring of the line?
1: It's really a function of the change that have been that that started probably about gosh, time is elusive, maybe a decade or so ago, maybe a little bit longer. When you saw marketing move to digital first, when you first started seeing disruption, the the launching of direct to consumer brands, right? That really was kind of the advent of this age of the consumer is the way I would think about it. And we were already on a path where the way that we consume information, the way that we consume content, the way we expect to shop, right? was already in a path of becoming more and more consumer oriented and and even still we right before the pandemic to your point there was still a separation between how I might be treated as a consumer and then how I'm treated also as a B2B buyer right how people might approach me and market to me there was still a big difference with the pandemic with all of you know the various P's, pandemic politics <laughs> um you know b- uh, uh the social justice, all the things that happened, that really caused an acceleration of a lot of trends that were already underway. And I think because of that, you see consumers who are now even more attuned to wanting personalized experiences, expecting that companies will offer them you know, content in the channel they want to see it, content tailored to them, offers tailored to them, even in every part of their life. So if you think about even in your life, or if you think about some of the things that are You know, growing right now. Healthcare is a perfect example of where the consumer wants to take control over their own health. I should not only be able to shop and be given items that are relevant to me, but why is that only for my shopping experience? Why wouldn't that be for my health experience as well? Why do I wait to get sick and then see a doctor when the technology exists for me to prepare or anticipate or know ahead of time. And you'll, so you see launching of companies, all these tech healthcare companies that are launching to serve this consumer who wants these more personalized experiences in every part of their life, who has an expectation for more um, interactive and consumer you know, and um, tailored experiences. So where does the line stop from someone who's living their life, shopping, going to the doctor, or doing all these perfectly tailored experiences, where does that line stop when you go to work? When you, you know, maybe when you actually went to an office and went to work, but even that, right? You don't have that anymore. This whole blend of your business life and your consumer life, right, is is really what we're all even still coping and, and wrestling and trying to determine what that looks like. So the pandemic, social justice, this this activism that we have, this increased expectation for personalization, um, the decrease in loyalty, right? All of those things are feeding the fact that B two B buyers are also consumers. And at the end of the day, we are starting to 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 compress the way that we shop, the way that we experience the world. And so that's to me the major driver of why B two B needs to act more like B two C to to engage.
0: I think there's also more of a blurring in terms of the tools that we use as well. Like the actual, particularly when it comes to tech. I think Zoom is a great example of that. I mean, that was originally developed for the use of work for video conferencing, but now it's probably the most popular way of people communicating um, in terms of video chat. Like I rarely use stuff like FaceTime and stuff these days. I'll usually jump on a Zoom call with people if I want to video chat. And that's because I use it so much in my, in my work life. It's crossing over to my home life as well. And that's also probably part of what you were saying with people have their work in their homes now. So they expect... That home life and the work life to be more in sync, I suppose.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think about, you know, even the way that you proceed through your day with so many people working from home, like your point about Zoom. I mean, we were encouraged to have Zoom holidays with our families, right? We we're like, we that's what we'll do. We're so holiday, we're going to Zoom, you know, seniors, we're playing bridge over Zoom because they couldn't see their families or their friends. Like, it absolutely became it's that technology that really does enable us now to have. Whatever types of experiences we want at our fingertips. So why would I want to kind of pull myself back and say, no, now I'm not going to use this technology, or I'm not going to experience things the same way, or I'm not going to, um, you know, TikTok, right? It's phenomenal. Instagram, like, look at the launch of of brands and and their ability to really spin up a, you know, spin up a brand that can actually take significant market share in a relatively relatively short period of time without a traditional marketing approach, right? Without um, you know, I think of actually had the pleasure of meeting the CEO, the, CEO, the co-founder of Olipop, which is, you know, a purpose built brand that is designed to, um, you know, it's healthier soda, right? So they're on a mission, um, which is to make sure that if you're going to drink soda, you're going to get a healthy experience, right? But though full well, they can't necessarily get people to drink healthy soda without being a popular soda brand. They were able to gain the market share they were able to gain. They don't have nearly the budget. They don't have the brand management. They don't have, they are competing directly with companies like Pepsi, right? In, you know, Coca Cola and are able to do that because of TikTok, because of Instagram, because of the ability to spread and launch a brand. And likewise, those same shoppers that are on those platforms consuming that content and experiencing these new brand launching, experiencing, you know, whatever's going viral at the moment are also the same B2B buyer. There's no separation in my life from where I'm like now. Or well, there's very little separation, right? I shouldn't say there's no. I say the separation, the gap is becoming very tight, and it's because of what you talked about, where our home life is, you know, is here, and our and our our work life is here and here, and on the and we're constantly moving between them, right, all all day long. Whether it's our our phones now have our personal chat, but they also have Slack for work. So you're you're as you're working, taking a break, running to the gym, walking your dog, coming back on Zoom, right? All of that merger of your life. There's no time to really say, oh wait, now I'm at work. So I should have very serious conversations. I should not be seeing anything like in social media. I'm not gonna shop there. It's all one big like long continuum. You no, know, there's a lot of downsides to that, right? I mean, I think that's why we see some, some of the challenges that that people are experiencing. It's As humans, I think it's hard for us to, uh, to cope with that kind of like always on, always connected and not have that separation. So I think it's a double-edged sword, but it's largely why at the end of the day, a B2B buyer is also a consumer, right? Is a consumer right. audience. And so the better that you are at engaging people at that as a, B2, as a consumer and appealing to them with the same tools and techniques that would be relevant for a B2C brand, I mean, that's to the extent you could be successful.
0: Well, one of the things I've noticed over the last couple of years that I hadn't seen much at all in B2B, at least prior to the pandemic, was the idea of Thinking more about the values that B2B companies stand for, and when it comes to connecting with the values of B2B buyers as well, do you think that's to do with sort of that blurring as well? Thinking more about the the values that companies stand for, there used to be when you talk about business, like, oh, it's business, it's all driven by logic and you can just think about it in terms of numbers and stats and stuff. But now people are thinking about, do we want to be in business with a, this company? Does it stand for the values that we stand for? Is that to do with the blurring of the line as well, or is that something else?
1: Well, I think it's part of the extension of the trend of consumer activism. And so in our research here, we were tracking, we started to discuss the consumer activism. I want to say it was really late 2018, early 2019. And, and it was a very small segment initially of people who are really tuning in, right? There's obviously much more information about whether a company has a certain political stand, whether a company is you know doing a good job for the environment, whether the company is you know safe, is protecting its employees, right? There's so much more information if you think about UPS, FedEx, and uh, Amazon and unions, uh, you know, factories, fast fashion factories in China that are not necessarily protecting workers. There's a ton of that, and there's more information available about that. Exactly who is taking a stand or isn't taking a stand. But initially, it was just a small, portion of, if you think about the, the the consumer base, or if you think about the average person, that really was an activist, and they were really connected to to activist brands. But again, over the course of time, especially accelerated in the last you know three years, where people could pay much more attention and had much more availability, and then with the speed of social, that was able to communicate these messages much more quickly, right, to everyone. Now you, you, you almost can't, you can't hide from the facts, right? So if someone isn't being a good steward of the environment, if a, if a company is not taking good care of the environment, it's there, people are gonna know about it. And then because we have more choices, we don't have to work with them, right? We don't have to choose that brand. There are other people we could support. There are a lot of competitors in almost every box. When I think about the space we're in, which is in the MarTech space, I mean, look at what the martech landscape looks like, right? There's you know nine thousand companies in the martech landscape, so you do have choices of who you could work with. In most cases, I was in there some big behemoths in the B two B martech space that that we almost all have to work with. But I think you have better information. The information travels faster, and you have now more ability to actually take to take action of some type. You can you know you have ability to protest whether it's a silent protest or a verbal protest or a social protest, you also have the ability to shop, to, to shop with your, your values, right? Or, or use your wallet to take a stand. And as you see, again, more consumers doing that. And there are really, truly a lot more consumers doing that. And it's not just a particularly you know, age group or generation that's doing it. It's across a wide swath of ages that are now saying, I, I can use my wallet to make this choice. You know, one of the things i think is is interesting and again it's drawing this comparison between the consumer and the change perfect examples is, is banking right and so in the pandemic you know if you think about who are the people most likely going to banks, so if i'm a banker or if i own file at a bank um i'm going to be thinking about who goes into my branches and i might you know for a fact there were another baby boomer right that liked to use banks but with the pandemic they could no longer do that anymore. So you had a generation, a significant portion of a generation that wasn't adopting technology, right? So as popular as online banking become, they just were not going to adopt it. They like, you know, they had a routine. The experience was what they wanted to maintain, and the and it was available. It no longer became available, and now you've seen a group of people, right, who now have is using technology to do things they didn't use before. Which means if I can use technology to now bank when I was more comfortable going in the bank and if i can use zoom to play bridge with my friends if i can make that kind of behavioral shift in in you know that type of generation uh, you know imagine the shifts that we you could you could identify across all of these spectrum so again because we've changed the way we live our consumer life <laughs> like it also relates to our to our b2b life we now know about these companies we know what that ceo stood for we didn't like his behavior we didn't like the way he treated his employees and we heard about it and we're gonna look for options and there are options. It's not like there aren't, right? So um, I think that's largely why you see more of it. It's still more prominent on the consumer side because it's a lot easier to make a consumer purchase. It's a lot easier for me to say, I don't like what Goya and CEO said, he stood for Trump, so I'm gonna go buy different beans. It's a lot easier than going, I'm gonna take my automation, you know, replace my marketing automation with somebody else because I don't, I don't like Salesforce. <laughs> it's a lot harder, right? There's bigger switching costs for sure. But I think you'll see people register their vote, so to speak, in other ways, right? In other ways. And and, um, you definitely see that happening.
0: So with this in mind, it sounds like a big challenge for CMOs and B2B companies. It sounds like there's a lot of new things that they need to be dealing with. Where should they start in terms of thinking about how they can start appealing to this new type of B2B buyer?
1: I don't know that, I don't think the starting is getting hard. I think the first thing is the mind is kind of changing your mind shift. I mean, look, as it, 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 I honestly think that the B2B marketers are in the best position to be marketing leadership really for any industry, if you think about it, because as B2B marketers, we're much more attuned to revenue. Um, And I don't, and I I know that's probably all the, all the, you know, non-B2B marketers in the audience are probably like, that's terrible, don't say that. But I think that, I think, you know, realistically, right, in a B2B space, my accountability is for revenue. My accountability is for pipeline. My accountability is for opportunities. Yes, awareness is important. And I'm not suggesting it's not. Awareness is very important, but at the end of the day, I have these, I have this technical infrastructure, right, that I'm using to tap into revenue. So I think we're we have a head start because we're thinking about the quantification of things. And at the end of the day being a marketer there are cl- those core sort of attributes that marketers have right being attuned to your customer we we still leverage a persona based approach you know we we we're, we're all we're doing is adding in a layer a different content layer a different media layer like that's the way I think about it i think you have to have the mind shift to say i need to think about this email nurture differently like Yes, I'm going to do an email nurture and I'm going to generate MQLs and, and I'm pushing things out. But I need to think a little bit differently how I'm engaging people. Um, and so once you make that mind shift, then you can start to layer in different, different approaches. There's lots, I mean, we have so much ability to test right now, to monitor. So if you want to expand to a new channel, if you're thinking, you know, you try a new channel, you run some tests, you have the ability to execute that and get data from it so more efficiently than we would have like, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. So I feel like we're in a really good position to capitalize on it if we recognize at the end of the day, I mean, I say this to my team all the time, at the end of the day, the people that are buying from us are just like us, right? They're marketers too, right? They're trying to, they're consumers also, right? They're trying to get through their day. Like the same approach we would take, right? With, with persona-based support, what are your challenges? How are you measured? It's, it's just understanding they're humans at the end of the day. They're being pulled in different directions. So it's that psychographic layer. You know, I'm a maybe I'm a B2B buyer and my KPIs are XYZ and this is what I'm challenged with. But I also am someone who's um, you know, managing my my personal and my business life, work from home and not work from home. You know, there there is that psychographic layer that I think if you if you just acknowledge it's there and start to unpack what that might look like and run, start accepting that the, you're gonna make some changes and tests, you're in a great position to be successful.
0: How do you go about identifying the psychographic level? Is it about like just going out and speaking to your customers and getting to know what their challenges and values are? Or is it looking a more of a data-driven approach?
1: I mean, I think you can be really data-driven in that in the same way though, when when we do our you know personas, we it's a' it's a combination of art and science, right? You're doing some research. um you know, you're building out these profiles. in in our world, we have a you know, a consumer. Customer obsession um, mission, and in our personas, they're actually based on our real customers. And a lot of brands, of course, do this too. So when we created these personas, part of it is our is our own research. Some of it's quantitative, but then there's also qualitative research where where we are interviewing and we're looking at the way that people are engaging with us and we're you know understanding what their goals are and how they use our technology. And it's the same for the other side. I think you have to I think almost like a human layer that you wanna ap- apply, right, to your, um, to your persona. Where else are we going to find them, right? Where do they look for information? What else is happening in their lives? Like you can, there is data, you know, available. You can actually leverage you know, consumer data um, to do it. But I mean, one of the interesting positions that we're in is that because we are a data, a consumer data company, um, we 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 can we keep an entire like repertoire right of consumer data. But we know people as B2B, they're how they engage with us. And because we can connect this information with an identity graph, right, in a in a privacy-safe way, we can actually see both sides of people. As marketers, we're used to when you work for B2C, you're looking at all C, right, consumer type information. When you're in the B side, you're you're you know, persona based and getting B information. But as the technology is starting to merge, you're going to be able to see both sides of people, um, and so that's a little farther away. But I think getting started with that data and and starting with qualitative processes, I think is is a helpful way to to start to know that other side of the person. But it can also be as simple as trying channels which you thought were t- traditionally consumer channels, right? You don't have to take you know the quantum leap forward to do this. You can you can try consumer channels. You can even try it in your messaging. You know, consumer approaches. I mean, we've seen that to be quite successful in our subject lines. Like, take take a page from the step from the email that you opened that was a consumer email and apply it to your B two B email and watch your you know click through rate go up. Watch your engagement rates go up. People are used to being communicated that way. So there's baby steps I think you can take.
0: And even channels where it might it might not even be the um sort of the B two B and B two C divide. It might be the generational divide as well. Like TikTok for business is doing absolute gangbusters for a lot of B2B brands out there. And it's because the Gen Z mentality, this entrepreneurship that a lot of people are pushing for, there's a lot of very young business owners out there these days. So the idea of, oh, uh, TikTok's not right, right for us, we're B2B, there's not going to be a B2B buyers, that is a myth. When you actually look at some of the statistics out there, if you look at some of the data out there about behind the, the Gen Z mentality, like if you can get in a TikTok now when these, when this generation really does have that buying power, you're going to be set up really, really nicely there because you're speak, you've been speaking to them using their language on their channels from a very early stage.
1: Right. I, I mean, I think, you know, if you think about kind of the origins mm-hmm. of like native advertising, um, you know, and again, it was like native advertising was in consumer advertising, but you really rarely saw it in B2B advertising. And then it's almost like the perfect native, if you think about, tiktok right like you're here you are taking a break from work you know watching some video and next thing you know you're also now learning about a brand and like i think to your point people have not it's not like it would it gives them um you know an an off-putting reaction right they're like this is just part of the way that i'm learning about important things i'm learning what's popular i'm learning what's happening i'm learning about new companies and new brands New things that are available to me. If I'm in that channel and I'm consuming all this information, learning different things. And now listen, you could say maybe you're not learning all the right things. I mean, hundred percent, yes, there's that. But I mean, Instagram same, right? You know what I mean? You're here you are scrolling and you're reading about the stars, latest star and you know, falling whatever nonsense or whatever they wore at the golden globes or and then you're like, oh wait, you know, that I, I'm I'm scrolling through and like this, I didn't know about that tech that was available. You're not going to, you don't look away, right? You're not like, no, no. I'm not, you're, you're in that mode of consuming content. So if anything, it's almost like you ingest it a little bit, I don't want to say faster, right? But you're, but you're seeing things you wouldn't have seen. So do you really, you know, do you think that's going to be less effective than someone's email inbox that's got, you know, completely overloaded with emails that they're sending? I mean, it's probably, you know, it's probably more effective. And it's also a different. You're in a different space, right? When you're when you're um, uh, scrolling Instagram or, or TikTok or anything else, you're in a maybe different disposition. you it could be more relaxed. or enjoy, and you're open, right? So you're you're not in a uh, a defensive. Let me clean my mailbox out space. So you're you have ability to break through. You know, reaching people in places where it, at the at a right time for them, where you don't have that hard wall between work and, and my rest of my life anymore. That's, that's where you're breaking through, right? That it, it would be different that this was maybe like, to your point, five, even five years ago, where you shut the laptop down. I'm not in work mode anymore. I'm now completely in my personal mode. I'm doing my own thing. And, and don't get me wrong. There are people that do that in, in certain generation, you know, sub generations, I should say, are, are maybe better doing that than not. But I think the reality is it's seeped in you know, it's, it's become, it is, it's natively in there now. And, and we talked about all these brands that are able to be, to launch and be successful and steal significant market share on a completely different scale with, by the way, a completely different budget, right? So why wouldn't, if you're a bigger company, if you're a tech player, if you're a B2B company, why wouldn't you also take advantage of that? I think the key isn't in in that, you know, in TikTok is how do you, how do you do it in a way that's, Authentic, right, <laughs> and and not you know artificial, right? Because they're the fil the filters and screens are pretty high on on that audience, like a level of expectation, right? So,
0: well, I, I suppose the the best way to do it is to hire some Gen Z people to do the the TikTok marketing for you, um, and you see D 2 C brands now, but they don't even have a website. They are literally just entirely on social media, on TikTok, on Instagram. Do you think we'll ever reach that point with b2b that sounds like a bit of a pipe dream to me surely
1: i think it's hard to say we could get that far i mean you've got like to your point d2c brands that have no e-commerce platform their e-commerce platform is like shopify right or they where they're they're not having to do any like clearing of of of, of uh you know transactions because they're using public paypal like it's and it, i think that's you know part of that broader um, disruptive story is all the technology that enables businesses like that. I mean, the cloud alone that you could build a business without infrastructure, you do see that type of effect on B2B. I mean, there there's certainly more B2B tech companies that are able to launch because they don't need infrastructure. And there are many, many, you know, B2B SaaS companies that are happy to provide a full accounting infrastructure, right? A full um, marketing infrastructure. So, it seems hard to believe, but if you think about it, if you were to start a company, if you and I desired to go start a company today, you know we could go launch a company, we wouldn't need to hire an accounting team, we probably wouldn't need to hire uh, you know a full finance team. we would be in a financial situation to launch something uh, pretty pretty cost effectively and much more quickly than we ever would do before. So could you and then we would get the you know chat GP to write all of our copy for us and then we'd be like down a path. That is scary fact. That. That's just scary not a podcast. Pop. You,
0: you, well we're well, talking well. to a copywriter here. Like you'll definitely put the fear of God of me in there. I
1: know. God. God, I do. That's <laughs> we'll save that for another podcast. Yeah, that one
0: yeah, that, scary That's but that's, a, that's a scary can, hole to pull down, definitely. Yeah.
1: If you can do all that, could you put could you potentially get over the hurdle of I don't know, reputation? Right? Like, are you really gonna sign up? But but then again, I mean, I'm thinking of a number of B2B companies that are enormously successful, like launching outsourced finance. So, if if a company is going to trust them with their finance, then maybe you could. Yeah. You know? So, it's, I don't know. I would have said no, but the more I think about it, I think it, it could be on the
0: horizon for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely something to keep an eye on for sure. So, this blurring the line, as we said at the top of the episode, I think it's something that marketers have been familiar with for a while. Well, how do you communicate the need for this mind shift to the other stakeholders within the business, um, particularly um, other members of the C-suite, particularly like the CEO and stuff, who, who might be quite entrenched in how they think the business should operate and how they should be speaking to their customers? How do you go about communicating this need for a change as a CMO?
1: I mean, I think personally, my approach is always data-driven. I, I think when you go with the data, it's hard to you know, it's the best argument. And if you're ever going to, you know, if you're trying to talk to your CEO or anyone else in the executive team, it's always a good idea to just come with the data. And And I think there's enough data to say, you know, a Venn diagram of like, here's our persona and here's the fact about how, you know, how this channel, for example, is growing. And here's why I think we should run this test in TikTok, right? Or here's why we should invest more in this channel. Uh, and then, you know, and then, and and go with the test and approach. I, I would be surprised if it was that hard of a pitch, especially going in with uh, with the facts about the growth of so many channels. I mean, you don't have to look to, I mean, look at streaming and what's happened, again, already significant, but then on the, on the heels of the pandemic, like the sh- explosion of, who even has linear TV anymore, right? Like, So you you kind of have to, everyone should be in the mode of thinking, like I need to be always considering my options, but you have so much data to suggest that the growth is there and that the the buyers you know are the same population. It's not some isolated population that lives on a different planet that we you know that that doesn't get counted in those numbers, right? We are the same people that are streaming. We are the same people that have you know connected TVs and and whatnot. So I think you know go in with a business case to to test a channel, for example, but go with your data and then run a test and 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 you know show the data of what's possible. I think the hardest challenge we have in B two B is probably the same. You've got, like I said, 9,000 or so. Um, Scott Bricker's probably like, you know, going to ping us and tell us the exact number. And I can't, I can't believe I don't know the 2023 number, but if there's that many companies out there, we already have an enormous challenge of trying to break through, right? Like, you know, most of our, most of us is B2B, unless we're, you know, some of the biggest B2Bs. Oh, and there's many of us that are not right the biggest b2b like that you're trying mm-hmm. to get awareness you're trying you're still vying for attention like everybody else so mm-hmm. you have that challenge already the inboxes are full you know inboxes are overflowing people don't want they're not answering phones i i have an account development team and i I know the pain that those guys feel. People are not picking up phone calls. Half of people have not even been in offices. Right, so now you're calling people on their mobiles, and they don't want to hear from you, a B two B salesperson, and you're and you've got you know four million emails in your inbox. So how are you going to reach these people? At the end of the day, that's the challenge we have. We have to d- diversify the channels that we're in anyway, so that we can try to reach people more effectively. There's only so many in-mails that can be sent and received. There's only so many emails that can be sent and received, and nobody's accepting your phone calls anymore. Those were all the traditional channels for the B2B marketer, right? We're, we're kind of running out of channels here, so we better try something new. Um, and so I think you, you're already in a position where you have to kind of keep exploring new ways to engage people so that you could just get them to know your brand and be willing to explore your brand.
0: That's a great call to action right there, Erica. Let's let's wrap things up now. Let's see if we can pull things together. What do you think should be sort of the three golden rules that CMOs should be thinking about when it comes to this blurring of the line between B2B and B2C? I mean,
1: I like to, you know, there's always the old adage in marketing, like don't, you know, you're not your own, don't be your own use case or whatever, you, whatever that thing is. But I do think, I mean, the number one thing is, yes, there are B2B buyer with B2B goals, but the way that they consume content and shop is very much in the consumer mindset. So don't forget that the B2B buyer is also a consumer. Like just put that in the forefront of your team's minds, because if they're thinking that way, then, then naturally things are going to flow from that. So I think that's just ne- like almost the, the golden rule that we all need to adapt. I think, you know, leverage the technology that you have to take advantage of that. Uh, there's so many different tools that we can use to to better understand, to better engage, right? To be, you know, so 100% leverage technology that you have and then just be data-driven, right? So to be in the mode of testing. We use agile methodology for our team from a marketing perspective. It's not just for software developers, right? Been talked about probably for years, but you actually have to live and breathe it because I think our, the worst thing we can do is not change, test, try you know, new things and be left behind, right? that That's the challenge that we don't want to have. So I would say, yes, you're the consumer. You know, the con- you're, the B2B buyer is also the consumer and they're human, by the way. Um, and then the technology and the data that you have, so take advantage of the technology and the data you have to create a a team that is in the agile mentality, right? That they're testing and open. And I think, you know, great things will come from that.
0: Excellent. And one last thing, Erica, um, say you're... You've got a CMO of a B two B company who's spent their entire career getting to know B two B stuff, and suddenly they need to start understanding consumer mindsets. Are there any resources that you would recommend people check out in order to get to get to really understand what where consumer mindsets are going in the future? Interesting.
1: Ah, uh, you know, there's so much. There's so many resources. I mean, obviously, selfishly, like we produce the state of the consumer every year, which. Is a good reading, but there's great studies from some of the best names. I think you know McKinsey does a great job of capturing some of these big trends. Same with Forrester and Gartner that have great data. You know, so you can tap into, especially if you're already in a relationship, an analyst relationship with like Forrester, for example. You know, you can usually tap into the some of their consumer data and not just their B two B data. Um, and we do that actually pretty regularly, even on the industry basis. So that's probably a a quick and easy backdoor to getting some consumer information
0: great stuff well thank you very much erica for joining me today and having this conversation as i said at the top of the episode it's one that i've been really really excited about covering for a long time so thank you very much and i'm sure our audience appreciate it as well
1: thank you for having me i'm really excited about this too i think it's exciting it's really i always think it's an exciting time to be a marketer i mean we have so many tools and so much that we can do and and so it's super to me it's exciting to see the two compress right we don't have to be stuck in just boring b2b
0: anymore (laughs) boring b2b yeah goodbye to boring b except
1: for where the money is right (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: they have got to keep that in mind as well um but as i said thank you very much erica and thank you very much to our audience as well i'm sure you found this very useful we'll be back soon with some more cmo combos like what you heard in this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.